thanks for being here. So I want to introduce you. I'll let them introduce themselves to you. But this is the Bailey family. And uh, in case you don't know, uh, the Baileys have been around this place for a long time. So um, when we started this campus almost five years ago, uh, the Baileys uh, helped us start our Frontlines Ministry, they were kind of the first directional leaders for that. They were the first directional leaders with Reengage to help us get that started. Uh, they've done all kinds of other things. Jen's been on our uh, kids team for a while. And so here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes when you put people up on stage, you think, oh, they just chose the perfect family, okay, to be on stage. So I want to tell you, this family is amazing. I love them. Okay, but they're not the perfect family, okay? And what I love about the Baileys is that they have fought through all kinds of things to walk deeply with God as they've walked through marriage stuff, as they walk through kids stuff, parenting stuff, as Andy's walked through job stuff. We're going to talk about all that stuff today. But we just thought it'd be really helpful for you guys just to hear firsthand, okay, kind of how they think through and work through what Ephesians... Five, the end of Ephesians 5 and the first part of Ephesians 6 talk about. So uh, here's what I'd love for you to do. Take a couple of minutes, introduce yourselves, and then give us kind of a quick summary of your family. Okay? Okay. All right. Good morning, guys. My name is Andy Bailey, and this is my wife, Jennifer, and our son, Carson. We have three other kiddos, two in college at Texas A&M. No whooping, please. Too early for that. I'm an Aggie, and I don't whoop very much, so... When I hear that, I usually cringe. You're welcome for that Baylor bear back there. <clears throat> um, so we have a, a daughter, another daughter, a son, and our third daughter said, forget it, I'm not coming up this early. So she's at home in bed right now. Carson was the trooper. Do you introduce yourself? Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Jennifer Bailey. Andy and I have been married for 23 years. We actually have known each other since we were 10 um, moved out to a small town um, in Cooper, Texas, in East Texas, and he was in my fourth grade class. And I was much better looking then. That's yeah. how I got her. The kids said he had abs and hair back then, so um, it's a huge joke in our house when we pull out the old pictures. Um, but we've known each other for almost 35 years, and um, it's been really fun when you know somebody for a really long time, but also you have a lot to work through when you've known someone for a really long time. So um, we're thankful to be here and. Hopefully we can share this morning just ways that we've learned how to love and have respect and submit to each other over the past 20, 25 years was August. So, And this is Carson. Yeah, Carson, introduce yourself. Oh, hello. I'm Carson, and to describe my family is crazy. <laughs> oh, that's, that's it? it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, here's we're going to jump right in. Okay, let's talk about this marriage thing first, Andy and Jen, as we do this. So uh, the word submit is in this Ephesians 5 uh, passage. And so I've watched you guys over the years, uh, just really just the mutual submission, the mutual care that takes place. Talk a little bit about that uh, in your marriage. And then specifically, Jen, I want you to answer, hey, what does it look like as you think about the biblical definition of submission? What does that look like as you submit to Andy kind of in his great moments and then in his not so great moments? So. Yeah, you know, what I would say is... Uh, you know, Jennifer and I have known each other a long time, and we uh, we had had our first two kids, and I was nothing by way of a quality father or husband. I was pretty much working, 
coming home expecting Jennifer to handle everything with the kids. I think you were even working at some point when they were really young because I had made a bunch of horrible financial decisions and put ourselves in credit card debt. And uh, Jennifer was working as well outside the house, which was really at that point in our life not God's design. But because of my sin and choices, she was doing that. And, um, you know, it's pretty hard to submit to a man that comes home from work, lets his wife get the dinner ready, get the kids fed, get them in a bath, expects sex at 10 o'clock at night. Sorry, Carson. <laughs> he knows. He knows that the door is shut and the lights are off. What's going on, right? <laughs> Embarrass him a little bit this morning. <laughs> this will get him going. <laughs> and, and then expect her to be happy about that and then do it all over again the next day. And uh, that's, that's the kind of guy I was. And so I'll let Jen talk to you a little bit about what it looked like to submit to a person like that. Um, I would say the first seven years of our marriage were really hard. Um, we thought that we had a good marriage. Um, we were definitely weren't following Christ. We weren't um, at a church that was challenging us, asking us questions. We didn't have anybody to talk to. And so there was no community. There was definitely nothing like this where you come and you get equipped and you learn um, so a lot of me loving him was just because I loved him and a lot of me doing the things I'm supposed to do is because this is my family and he's my husband. And this is just what I'm supposed to do. But it would definitely say that my heart wasn't in it. Um, and it took about seven years for us to have a really big conversation for me just to lay all my hurt down. And in those seven years, what happens is I just end up getting really quiet. I shrink back. Um, Andy was definitely not leading our family well. Um, and when you're not at a church that's encouraging that and you don't have men around you talking to you about that, it makes it really hard to lead your family. And so some of him not doing that well is because he also wasn't taught. Um, and he didn't have a father that really taught him how to lead, his, lead our family well because he wasn't leading his family well. And so at that point, Andy had to make a decision after we had a really big conversation. Um, and it was a hard conversation. Um, just pretty much saying, I can't continue to do this. I know that divorce is not an option for us, but we have to figure out how to do this differently. And that's when um, we decided to make a change um, with God and putting him first in our lives. We actually came to Watermark after there was a lot of judgment for Watermark. Um, and just some of the things y'all did here, but it's really just because it was intentionality. It was um, making decisions for the Lord, and we just didn't know how to do that. And can I just show this? There's a great story right here. Their first time to Watermark. Okay, they came out uh, of a more traditional background church-wise. And uh, Andy had his tie on, uh, his suit on, and uh, walks into Watermark. And Tadashi is doing one of his songs. If you don't know who Tadashi is, he's a Christian rapper. So he walks into Watermark, and that was their first exposure to Watermark. Yeah, we had, we had no music in our church, meaning instruments. And... Uh, I actually preached in that church. My dad's still a preacher in that type of church. And I think I yelled the words, we're going to hell, as Tadashi's running down the aisle at Lake Highlands High School. And literally, people turn around and looked at me, and they go, what did you say? And I go, you're going to hell too? You know, and I, and I actually, you know, it's funny now, I actually believe that. I wasn't saying that for effect, for comedic effect. I was scared to death because I had gotten hate mail and you name it from our previous church that this was actually going to take me to hell and, and the family. Yeah. Hey, Jen, tell, tell us what it looks like look, as Andy has kind of transformed his leadership, what it's been like 
differently to submit to him as a guy who's walking deeply with Christ versus before? Um, so after that conversation, it was a pretty quiet weekend. Andy didn't have a whole lot to say, um, but was really internalizing what that looked like. We started coming to Watermark. Um, we immediately got plugged in to a community group. Um, just really, when I look back at that group, it was really a sweet group that has loved us. And one of the guys in that group chose, um, a lot of people were getting frustrated with Andy because he's very prideful, very much um, legalistic, like, hey, all these rules we have to do and all the things, ways we have to earn our way. And this one guy literally just said, hey, I just don't think you get the gospel. And I would love to walk through that with you. And so he took Andy under his wing for eight to 10 weeks in the Watermark Tower every single week and just walk through what that looks like and what Christ has done for you. And you don't have to earn your way and do all these things anymore. Um, and you love Jennifer because Christ loved you in First John, not because um, she's just Jennifer and you've just known her for you know 20 years. So um, that really changed for Andy about week six, I think he just got it. He understood the gospel, understood what Christ did. And it was from that moment on, his, he still had challenges and had to work through, I think, the legalistic part of it all and working to earn your way. But it definitely would say a change in him and how he looked at me, how he looked at our family, how he um, got engaged in Bible studies and wanted men around him to challenge him and help him grow. And that's probably a humility that I saw in him early on was just recognizing I can't do this alone and I need... Christ to help me, um, but also trying to figure out what that really looks like when you're 30 years old. So um, there are ways that I feel like I, um, that what Andy can do for me that helps me to love and respect him more and submit to him easier. Um, I know personally it's easier, even though it shouldn't be, I should be able to love him and respect him regardless of how he acts in our house when you're not in a good mood. It's called you're in the funk. And um, Andy was in the funk for a very long time, and um, he still can get in the funk sometimes, but it definitely looks a lot smaller, and those times are, you know, farther between. Um, but there are things that I feel like that when we do these really well or when Andy does these well, it helps me to love and submit to him. That's great. Let me jump in right okay. here if I can and say, Andy, let me ask you a question. How do you, how do you lead your wife spiritually? What does that look like? How do you do that? It's a question I think that as guys we all wrestle with. Is, is how do we do that? Yeah. Um, you know, Jen and I have always talked about praying together. There's a guy that used to be here. His name's D. Elliot, and D. passed away not too long ago. I love D. Uh, <laughs> D. used to always ask me, even when he had Parkinson's and he couldn't talk, and he had that weird laptop and monitor and, and voice box. I saw him at a Watermark event a couple years ago, and, and he reaches over and kind of shaking. He grabs me and pulls me close, and he goes, he points at the monitor, and he goes, he types in, you better be praying with Jennifer. And then he looked at her, and she, she, he said, is he? She goes, not every day. And he goes, don't make me. <laughs> and he couldn't get up, right? And it's like, it was just so sweet and awesome just to remind me to do that. Whether I do it out loud with her, I do it for her. Um, you know, people discount that so much because you may not always see the tangible aspects of saying a prayer for your wife. And sometimes you may not want to pray for her because you're kind of mad at her or you're resentful or you're pouting because you didn't get something the night before. I mean, come on, guys. I, I know that's true for many of us. 
Um, but the thing that I would tell you that probably has made it much easier for Jennifer to work out Ephesians 5 and how she submits to me is how I love her. And that's exactly what it says. It's what it talks about, how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When I'm not doing that and I'm living for me, it's, it makes it really hard for her to submit. And I will tell you, she's done it anyway, which is a testimony to her over my actions. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, that's a big one. One of the practical ways that we do that is uh, we learned this. We ripped this off from a Watermark couple, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe, the Lorkies. And uh, what they did and what we do now is every week for about 30 minutes to an hour, we sit down together, whether it's over breakfast or it's a Sunday afternoon when the kids are all out running around, and we talk through about three different questions. And one of those questions is, what have I done well this week? How have I loved you well this week? The second question is, how have I not loved you well this week? And the third question is, how can I love you well in the week going forward? Now, what you're effectively doing is you're opening yourself up for her to tell you some stuff, especially on question number two, right? But the important thing about that and where leadership plays a key role in that question is that you are inviting your wife to come into your life and to talk through those things with you. This isn't a defensive moment, men. This isn't, as soon as she opens her mouth and says, well, you know, uh, you had said last week you were gonna do this, but you never did it. And immediately you go to, but I was busy, I had a lot at work, you don't understand, I'm trying to hold it all together. That's not what this moment's for, guys. It's for you to listen, for you to take it in, for you to pray about it, and then you to take some action in your life. And that's just one of the practical tips that we've always, uh, for the last 10 years at least, and, and look, that's helped us in our financial discussions. That was never an easy discussion for us. But when I invited her, instead of her telling me, it started to change. So finances, intimacy, you name it, those topics come up yeah. in that time. And I would just tell you, if you take one thing away from today, one practical application, if you will start to do that with your wife, it will change your marriage. I promise. If you will be intentional about setting a time and asking those three questions or, hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, how was our week? On a scale of 1 to 10, how was, how was our marriage? What can we do to make it an 8 if it was a 4, right? All those questions is just super helpful, but it's one of the most transformative things I've seen couples do ever since I've been doing marriage counseling and all that kind of stuff would be so helpful. Okay, thank you. Anything else on the marriage piece before we move to Carson? Um, only thing I would say, I just wrote down a few things that Andy does really well. When he said he loves me well, I just would love to just give you all a few things that he does. Um, he treats me really well, um, tells me he loves me every day. He seeks to understand by asking me questions, doesn't just make assumptions. Um, he thinks the best about me. Um, he really listens, and that's really important for us women is when we sit down and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something, is for you to really listen, not just hear what we're saying and not try to fix us, but just to listen because we need someone to talk to. And ultimately, like, I want Andy to know everything and I want to share with him. Um, and then to slow down in those moments when something, you know, you know in about 10 seconds whether a conversation's going well and you know if you're fixing to have conflict. And so just in those moments to go, hey, this is not going well, let's stop and let's try this again later. 
And so there's just a lot of things that he does practically. Texts me every day, multiple times a day. Thanks me for things I do around the house. Um, just even in little things. Hey, honey, thanks for unloading the dishwasher earlier. I mean, I'm just supposed to unload the dishwasher, but um, he just That's not my rule, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he actually does a lot since I'm working out of the house right now. Um, but I think just him continuously telling me he's grateful for me and he's thankful for me and what he sees that I do with the kids or with him um, has really helped me to love and submit to him well. That's really great. Okay, we're going to shift gears and we're going to head kind of to the uh, father-mother-child uh, relationship. So, uh, Carson, let me ask you this. What are some things that you've seen your dad do that uh, have made it easier for you to trust him or obey him? Uh, when we have a situation where, like, he gets mad at me and I get mad at him, we both come together and see what we can do next time to solve the problem and make it a lot easier and how we can both slow down in the moment. That's good. And so, Carson, so um, I, so here's what I know about your dad. We're friends, right? Your dad's kind of, if you're going to take the, uh, you know, is he a withdrawal? Does he escalate? Does he, what does he do? What's your dad's ditch? Like, if he's going to make a mistake as a dad, what's his ditch? To, after, like, it's... We think we've had enough time being, like, separated to come apologize to me and talk through it. Yeah. But is he an escalator? Like, does he kind of... get mad or does he just walk away? Uh, gets mad. <laughs> I knew it would eventually come out. Yeah. So, so when he does that, okay, and every guy in the room can relate to escalating with your kids, right? When he does that, tell me what he does that helps you trust him and just kind of reconnect on the relationship. Um, after he comes, like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so what, how does, how does, just real practically, how does that play out? So, like, he escalates, you get frustrated with him. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happens. So, I'll just give an example. Like, let's say I'm in bed and he keeps telling me to get out of bed. And that's when he starts raising his voice. And that's when I start getting mad and I'm raising my voice. And then, are, you, are you a yeller too? Uh, yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> and then... After that, um, we kind of go our own ways. We don't talk to each other for a little bit. Then we come together. We, like, talk out, talk it out, pray, and go through that process. Okay, and tell me how. Who, who comes back and says, hey, Dad, uh, we need to do, Does Dad come to you? It's, do it's you go to Dad? Dad? Yes, usually Dad. Usually Dad comes to you yes. and says, hey, we need, to, we need to work through this. And yes. so, uh, Andy, tell us a little bit. How does that, what does that look like? So you've escalated. Carson's escalated, you guys split up, and then how do you come back to your son or your daughter? How does it, what does that look like? You know, I probably, more than anything in our house, ask for forgiveness. <laughs> um, and I say that part jokingly because I do it so much. Uh, you know, I had a father that would never ask for forgiveness. He would never admit that he was wrong, and there was none of that. And I just decided I wanted to be a dad that was different. And sometimes we want to predict the outcome we want to fix it i mean i can be a dog on a bone when i'm trying to teach and it comes out of not wanting these kids someday to start yelling at somebody else when they're trying to get them to do something and there's this i don't know about you guys but there's a little switch that goes off in my head and it's like but i have got to grind this into him so that someday when he's functioning in life everything's going to be good well what am i teaching him to do 
I'm teaching him to grind it into the next generation and those around him. And what I've realized is, is and, and Jennifer's helped me with this more than anybody uh, beyond God's word to softening my heart, is she keeps going, hey, Andy, they're not seeing the best side of you. They're seeing the angry side of you, the frustrated side of you, and that's what you're going to teach them to be. And so for me, practically, it just it looks like I just got to get away for a second, and I got to come down, and I got to be reminded, hey, that's what your dad did to you. And if you do this, you're going to propagate that to him, and then your grandkids, and then so on and so forth. And so that, that's what brings that softness over me is just getting away and slowing down. Yep. And one thing Andy normally does when there's any situation with the kids and it's maybe not gone well is once it's all settled and done, he'll come back to me and he'll say, hey, can you tell me what you just saw in that situation? What did you see? How could I have done it better? What can I make changes next time? So he's always in an evaluation process of himself on what next time could look like and how he had, it could maybe not go to the same place. And I would just tell you, you guys studied this this week and, and as you're studying God's word, right? Humility is the key to all this. Can you humble yourself and say, hey, I was wrong. I made a mistake. Let's work together to kind of put this thing back together so that we can connect. And so, Andy, another question for you. If you could rewind five years and, wait and uh, make one significant change in your approach to parenting, what would that be? So go back five years, maybe 10 years, yeah. but what would you change? Um, one of the things that we often notice when we're, we're talking to parents, I, I remember I had a dad once, and uh, our sons, our 18-year-old was then 12, six years ago, and uh, we had gone away for a weekend to do Passport to Purity, which Carson and I recently did not too long ago, and it just, you talk about everything. Sex is a big part of that, friendships, choices in life, and I remember this father at the time, uh, he came to me and he goes, Hey, could you take my son with you? And I, and I looked at him and I go, well, we can do it together. You can come with us. And he goes, no, no, no. I can't talk to my son about that. He said, could you take him and tell him? And, uh, I said, no, but I'll do it with you. And, and the, and the son never got that. And guess what? That, that boy now he's struggling. He's struggling with girls big time. He's struggling with his identity, his security, everything in his life he's struggling with because he didn't get it from his father. So, yeah, go ahead. So, Andy, you've got some tips here yeah. that you kind of kind of tell us. if you, yeah. As you're trying to help all of us parent well, what are some of the things that you would tell these guys about loving and serving their kids? Yeah, and these, these tips didn't come out of the mind of Andy. Uh, they, they came out of God's Word, and they came from this relationship here. And the biggest tip, you know, Kyle said, if there's one takeaway on marriage, it's this. If there's one takeaway with your kids and within your family, it's nothing is off the table for discussion. How many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand, just think about it. How many of you choose your topic have said, I'm never going to talk about that inside my family? They're not going to know about any of our financial struggles. They're not going to know about, I, I'm, I just can't talk about sex with my kids uh, whatever it is, think about what that thing is. And most likely, that will be the thing where your child struggles if you choose not to talk about it. Most likely. And so nothing is off the table. We have had some crazy conversations in our house because of this rule. And, uh, I, you know, with my girls, I won't get too graphic. But, um, you know, I've told my girls, I said, you come up behind a 15-year-old boy and rub on his shoulders, don't expect that something else isn't going to happen. 
and I'm much more graphic than that with them. And they go, Daddy, and I go, look, I just need you to understand this is the power that you have, okay? Boys aren't horrible, but you, from Romans 14, never want to cause a brother to stumble, so you got to guard your heart. you got to be careful. Those are the types of conversations that we have, right? So, so that, is, that is one of the most practical things. I want to make sure. Oh, yeah. The other one, there, there are several on the board, but double and triple click. Anybody know what that means? Hey, Carson, how was your day at school? Fine. Really? Well, tell me about your day at school. Dad, I said it was fine. Well, tell me about your math class. I know you've been struggling there a little bit with your teacher. Uh, she's fine. Okay. Well, it's, so it's, it, you're, you're getting to somewhere, right? The other thing, I don't know if Daniel Smith's in here, but uh, we recently had an opportunity to sit in our kitchen table through some hard stuff uh, going on with Carson. And um, Daniel told me afterwards, he goes, I wrote that down in my little book on kids, and I just learned it from somebody else. Awkward silence is worth the wait. You remember that, Carson? Remember what I said to you? Hey, Carson, is there anything else you want to share? Because right now is the time. And he goes, uh-uh. I go, okay. And so we just waited. And do you remember? This little guy started confessing stuff. And guess what? He got to walk away from that table very clean. And it was because I had, and Jennifer and Daniel and others at that table had the patience to wait not to try to fill it in, not to try to fix it, not to try to solve it, not to try to preach and go, but here's what you need to do next time, and I know you probably did this. It wasn't that. It was just simply waiting. And then, guys, when the time came and the tears were flowing, it was an opportunity to share the gospel where Carson accepted Christ. It was an opportunity to be patient with him, to pray with him, to love on him. And I didn't start the conversation out that way. I was pretty hacked about what was happening. Um, But... Silence can be your best friend because you give them an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit work in their lives to put this stuff out on the table. That's good. Uh, One thing, guys, I would just tell you that was real helpful around our house with kids is we had a formula, formula that freedom comes from responsibility and communication. That's how they got freedom. So if they come in, how how are you? What would you do tonight? Uh, and it's a really short answer, I would just kind of say, hey, that's fine, but the more information you give me, the more trust and freedom you're going to get. So it almost forced them, if they wanted freedom, that they had to tell me details, who they were with, where they went, all of that kind of stuff. And we use freedom as kind of a way to say, hey, the more you talk to me, the more freedom you get. And so that was really helpful in our family, and it sounds like that's what the Baileys have done too. Okay, there's more here. Sorry, we can't go. We want to switch gears one more time to uh, Ephesians 6. talks about kind of the employer-employee relationship. Andy's had a great career as uh, a salesman. Um, and so just I want to ask him a couple questions for you guys. So, Andy, what? Um, tell us about a time when a superior asked you to do something that may have compromised your walk with Christ? How did, you, how did you handle that? Well, I handled that one poorly, so learn from me here. Uh, I worked for a very large software company at the time. It was about five, six years ago, and I had a couple of bosses, uh, VP-level guys that claimed to be believers, and uh, they were doing some unethical things inside of uh, our group. And they had asked me to do something very unethical. And uh, I told them I wasn't going to do it. 
It was not going to happen. And I actually went to HR with it. It was pretty egregious. And um, those guys hated my guts for that. And they, they pretty much turned on me. And then it, it got pretty challenging to work there. And so instead of trusting God, a guy named Jonathan Collins, who's uh, one of our overseers here in Plano, I was in community with he and Brian Buchek at the time and, and Russ Moyer. And those men sat with me. And uh, Jonathan would often look at me and go, you're not leaving another job. You're going to stay right where you are. And I go, you can stick it, Jonathan. I got so mad at him, I wouldn't talk to him for a week at a time when he did that. Guess what? That Jonathan Collins, I'll tell you, not to brag on him too much, but he's probably the most intentional guy I've met at Watermark. And when you have a man in your life that's willing to be intentional with you and tell you the truth about yourself, you've got to do something with that. And so, um, long story short, I didn't listen to Jonathan. I wound up leaving that role, and uh, I went into another role that was pretty much jumping out of the frying pan into the kettle, or whatever they call it. I'm from East Texas. I should know that one. Um, but but it was, I jumped out of worse to even worse, more worse, terrible, horrible. And uh, that turned out to be something very similar, right? And so, you know, my... My takeaway there is when you think you have to make a move, invite others in and slow down. It's got to be done tomorrow. I got to get out of here. You don't understand, honey. This place is horrible. They're terrible. They're going to screw us on pay. They're going to do this and that. I've said all those things. Slow down. What I learned is I was trusting myself and not trusting God. And when I trust myself, I wind up in bigger messes. It's good. Andy, you've got some tips for us on the employer-employee thing yeah. just to wrap up here. You know, um, I think I put on the board in integrity, you can't have just a little bit. Um, some people think, well, I'll do the right thing as long as it serves me. Um, you, you've got to do the right thing all the time. And uh, integrity is such a key piece of that. Setting expectations with your boss is another one. There, there's a guy that I'm close to here at Watermark, and we were going to go through Regen together. And uh, the one thing I knew about him is that he would have to go talk to his management team and set some expectations. Otherwise, they'd call him all the way through Regen and bug him the whole night. And he ultimately decided not to do that, and he's not going through Regen now. But I said, hey, what was it that kept you from doing that? He goes, I just, there's never a good time to talk to my management about me getting some time back for myself. Guys, if you don't learn to have an expectation discussion, and it doesn't mean you got to lay down a rule of 10 rules and go, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm not going to do, you know, and just lay it out. That's not what that's about. This is about explaining to your management team your priorities and what's important to you. Um, and if you can't do that, get some help to do that. Because if you don't, most of you, your jobs will take every ounce of you. You'll find your identity in that job, and then you're going to really neglect your family. <laughs>